0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I'm going to invite Pastor Brian Hayes to come. Uh, Brian is going to be Guiding us into God's Word today. Uh, It's been a blessing to serve with Brian here on the staff team at Wildwood for the last number of years. I've been blessed by Brian in a number of facets. uh, And and many of you have been blessed through his teaching. And he's going to be guiding us into God's Word today. So join me in welcoming up Brian Hayes. I need to start with an, an apology. If you've brought a guest... I've been on the end of this in my small country church when the guest pastor comes and speaks and then your visitor comes and shows up and are like, oh, it's a guest speaker. <laughs> you know. Don't be alarmed, come back next week. Our senior pastor, Mark Robinson, will be back in the pulpit. Um, I do appreciate the privilege of, of speaking with you today and thank you for the opportunity, Mark. Um, we have been... Talking about uh, worship for a while, uh, the staff team and mark and I and others and and we feel like it's very very important that we we have this time of year that that we talk about it seriously and we and we relook at at why we come together. Mark started us off last week in ephesians chapter two. We were reminded in ephesians two the latter part that we are citizens with the saints in heaven aren't we we are Even though we're not in heaven right now, we one day will be with them in heaven. It's it's a promise that is for both us now and in our future. And we will join one day as believers in Christ, those that have gone before us, our family, the prophets, the apostles, and certainly Jesus Christ. We're members of God's household. Isn't that glorious to think about, that we're members of God's household? We are. We are. We come together because we're family. Mark said last week, we come together because we are a we, and that's what families do. They come together. We are a living and active structure with our chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't get any better than that. And we who have put our faith in Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. God is with us and God is in us. Think about that. We could stop right there and it had been a good day just to contemplate that God is in us. We are walking temples and testimony of the Lord's grace. When we stop to think about it, all that God has done. He's really set the table for us, hasn't he? I mean, we're dining with the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we have a seat at his table. It doesn't get any better than that. There's nothing more that we need to worship God for all that he has done, for he has done much. Yet sometimes we show up on Sundays, and it seems like something's happened. It seems like our worship is not where it once was. We're distant from worship. It's not that we've stopped believing in God. It's not that we're not singing the songs, but just we're not connecting like we used to. Something has moved in front of worship. What once was special isn't as much. And that fire that once burned hot with great light now has cooled considerably. Worship drifts and we forget our position at the table with the king. When worship drifts, something takes its place. You know, I was talking with some friends of mine about this the last couple of weeks. We were talking about our own struggle with worship. You know, it's probably all of us at times. And we were unpacking some of these things, and one of the things that we gleaned was was sometimes our worship, because of our brokenness, is is affected so much by our attitudes when we even show up. It's so much of what happened between Monday and Saturday that, that when we come into a place like this whether we worship or not, whether we're prepared. Another thing that I learned from my friends as we talk together is that sometimes we even start to develop an attitude that that we come to church to get I call it with them you can write this down, W-I-F, excuse me, W-I-I-F-M, WIFM. It's what's in it for me. I'm coming here so that I can get something out of the church rather than what I can give to God. We can even find satisfaction in serving and other things, but, but trying to make it through a worship service, I don't know I think we can do that. And so we've replaced worship with serving or something else, and something's got in the way. Worship on Sunday has more to do with us than it does with the song selection, the style of music, or even the preaching. It's more about us. It's the difference between critical and appreciative. The difference between doing versus adoring the difference between getting versus giving, and us-minded versus God-minded. Since we're a family, can we just admit that we struggle with this at times? We heard last week from Greg, our worship pastor, as he shared that worship is more than just singing, so much more, the prayer, the reading of scriptures, the testimonies, the baptisms. But it's certainly everything to do about Sunday, even though it's more than Sunday. It's everything that we do here on Sunday morning. John MacArthur has a quote that I like and a definition of worship, and it summarizes it this way. He says this, Worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. It's all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. The problem that we have sometimes is that acting rightly, reacting rightly. Regardless of how you came into this morning, we are so glad you're here. Our aim is to reconnect with the worship of God. We've worshiped God already. We're gonna continue as we hear his word, worship him. And that's that's our aim. We're gonna be looking in our Bibles and we're gonna be looking at a lot of scripture. So you can get your fingers ready and warm up your Bible. And you can do that by starting by turning to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John verses 19 through 24. This passage is gonna tell us a lot about worship, and I feel like it's gonna help us. Certainly has helped me. So John chapter four, 19 through 24. This is what happened in real life one day. Starting with verse 19, the woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive you're a prophet,' Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. FOR THE FATHER IS SEEKING SUCH PEOPLE TO WORSHIP HIM. GOD IS SPIRIT, AND THOSE WHO WORSHIP HIM MUST WORSHIP HIM IN SPIRIT AND TRUTH." THIS PASSAGE IS A, is a FAMILIAR PASSAGE. WE TAKE THIS FROM A STORY OF THE WOMAN AT THE WELL. IT'S QUITE POPULAR, BUT WE'RE PICKING IT UP RIGHT IN THE MIDDLE. Uh, I'd love for you, if you have the time, to read the whole story from the beginning of chapter four on down. But we want to focus specifically on this chapter, excuse me, on this passage in 19 verses 24 that has all to do about worship. This passage takes place in Samaria, and in this passage, the Samaritans believed that God was to be worshiped on a mountain called Mount Gerizim, and it's interesting that when this woman perceives that Jesus is a prophet because she, he's unpacked all of her past sin, or a lot of it anyway, and she says, I perceive you a prophet. Now, whether she recognized him as the Messiah or just a prophet, we don't know. But it's interesting that when she, when she says this, she goes right to the heart of worship. She wants to know, where's the right place? Are we worshiping the way we should on Mount Gerizim, or do you all have it right, the Jews, in worshiping in in Jerusalem? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 21. And he says, neither there nor in Jerusalem. You see, the point that he's making here is that worship no longer was gonna be confined to one place. Even though it had been that way and God had set it up that way, there's a new economy getting ready to happen. And worship now is going to take place anywhere and everywhere. And so location is not important. It's not at that church over there or this church over here or our church. Worship can happen anywhere. And location is not so important. Today we realize that worship can happen both privately in those locations, maybe as we're jogging or driving or whatever. It can also happen in public locations like right here. I was thinking about all the public locations of worship that that I've experienced. My own conversion, you know, was with a group of believers around me. What about baptisms? Baptisms is a a great act of worship. Friday, we baptized 15 people at the Sherman Pool. We worshiped God because they were following Christ. They had put their faith in Christ, said, we wanna follow you and identify ourselves with, with you publicly. So baptisms, prayers, certainly we can pray alone, but certainly we can pray together. And prayer is another way that we can worship God as we bring our attention to him. Or discipleship, it happens in the context with other people. We say to someone else, come, follow me as I'm following Christ. We can do this together. Let's learn about God together. There's So many things, the Lord's Supper, certainly you could take the Lord's Supper at home, you also can take it at your small group. You can take it at in the congregation, as we do numerous times throughout the year. The public reading of scripture or hearing testimonies—all of these are acts of worship that we see in the to, in the context of the of the gathering of the body together. Lots of ways and places to worship, some private and some public. The next thing I want to see is who is worshipped. Who is worshipped? You know, most everyone in here would get the right answer on this one. Even a child would say, Well, it's God or Jesus, and the answer would be correct. But this begs the question when we think about this, at least it did for me, that do I value God more than anything else? Is He my first? Do I run everything through His grid? I had to stop and think about that as I read this. In verse 23, it points out that we worship the Father. The Father is the one being worshiped here. The Son is speaking. He points to the Father and he says, We worship the Father. But is the Father all that we worship? No. Moving forward to John chapter 10, we read in verses 27 through 30 that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. I and my Father are one. Worshipping the Father can never be separated from worshiping the Son. They go together. Some may say, Well, I, I believe in God, but I don't know about that Jesus guy. That's not believing in God. If you believe in God, you must believe in Jesus for it to be true worship. In John chapter 17, we have this prayer. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's a beautiful passage, and we're only gonna read the first three verses, but it's, it's better if you're able to read the rest of it later. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he'd given them a few instructions, he comes to John 17, knowing that what is ahead of him, the cross, he prays this to the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's beautiful. Honoring the Son in his mission to the world honors the Father. And isn't it beautiful, too, that in this prayer, Jesus prays for us. He prays that we may know him, know the Father and know him. That is his prayer. Honor the Son by knowing him. So definitely the Son is also worshiped. Father is worshiped. What about the Spirit? Is the Spirit worshiped? Well, he's our comforter in John 14. He's our counselor in John 16. He's our intercessor to the Father in Romans 8. And he leads us in Galatians 5. Where would we be without the Spirit? I'll tell you where we'd be. We'd be lost. Because it's the Spirit that connects us to Christ. And it's Christ who connects us to the Father. And that, in and of itself, is beautiful and worth worship. We find where of worship can be anywhere. Location is not important. And we find the who of worship, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What about the when of worship? In verse 23, it reads, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Both the future and the past are in mind here, both now and later. Worship can happen right then, and it can happen right now. But it'll also happen in a greater way in the future. When this was written Christ had not gone to the cross. Christ had not been resurrected. So no doubt, there was much worship that happened at the resurrection. Even later in Revelation, we see a greater re- praise and worship happening in heaven. As they talk about in Revelation 4 and 5, which we're going to read in a moment. So this is a, this is a right now, and it's a later. It's not just a Sunday exercise, but it's a lifestyle of worship. We want to increase our worship. we We need to increase our time with God. A lifestyle of worship is a life that communicates with God. And we build our communication with God. We build our relationship itself and we build worth we see god is greater god is grander when we make worship a lifestyle we listen to god and he responds to us why worship why do we worship philippians 2 9 through 11 says this it says he's worthy therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ, the Lord, is God, to the glory of God the Father. You know, there's a day everyone in here will bow their knee and worship to the Savior. I just pray that as the song was sung earlier, that the the blinders that might be on your eyes or on your ears are open today to receive the good news of the gospel. Christ has come not just for this body of believers; He's come for the world, for anyone that would recognize him and put their faith and trust in him. That's who he's come for. Why do we worship? It's because he's worthy. In Revelations 4 and 5, listen to what John says inks down that's gonna happen in heaven one day. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. A little later, down in verse five in chapter five, he says, to him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. 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 He's worthy, isn't he? Why worship? Because he's worthy. Why worship? Because we were created for it. We were created to worship. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Have you been called into his marvelous light? You know, sometimes as believers, as Christians, as churchgoers, you know, we've been saved so long that we forget that we were in the dark. You know, this Church and worship service and all this just gets to be such a routine that we forget the darkness that Jesus saved us out of and the filth of our sin before a holy God. But He saved us. He reached down and He saved us. Our worship points others to Christ as well. Even in this passage, The woman at the well, after she has a conversation with Jesus, she heads back into town. And something happens in that trip down the hill. She goes down into the village, and she tells everyone that come. Here's here's someone that might be the Messiah. Could it be the Messiah? He told me everything about my past. She invites him to come with him. I'm going to show you. I'm going to introduce you to him. And as all the people from the town based on her testimony as they start to make their way up the hill Jesus is talking to his disciples and here is his words as the people are approaching he says this go down to verse 35 in chapter 4 Do you not say there are yet 4 months then comes the harvest Look I tell you lift up your eyes see the fields that are white for harvest it's right here it's right here Jesus had an appointment in Samaria to meet a woman at the well and to introduce Christ to a, a group of people that were outcast and then he introduced himself to this whole town and many the bible says their lives were changed forever The fields are white for harvest. If they were white for harvest then, maybe they're white for harvest for us too. I grew up on a farm in northern Oklahoma. I know a little bit about harvest. I know that the pretty fields of green, that the cattle graze for a while, you pull the cattle off and the wheat grows. And at the time about early May, the wheat starts to turn. And you may call it golden, and that'd probably be correct, but it also turns even, even more white when it's time for harvest. You see what happens as those heads raise themselves up and point to the heavens. At the time of harvest, they start to bend as if to almost bow before its creator. God is saying to us, the harvest is right here. We don't have to wait for the person to come to a church service to hear about God. If you have Christ in you, you have the Spirit in you, it's he that does the work through you that you have the message of hope, that you can share the gospel with a friend, with a neighbor, with anyone, and worship as you see a heart changed and come alive in Christ. The message of Christ is not left to ourselves just to hear on Sundays. God is giving it to us so that we can spread it out like this woman at the well and went and told I think sometimes we dumb everything down in our routines that we forget that we are a witness for Christ in our world. Let's be like this woman. Let's tell. Let's evangelize. Our worship points people to Christ. I want to end with how we're to worship. This last point is how we're to worship. And this is critical, folks. It's found in verse 24. We're to worship God in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not spirit or truth. It's spirit and truth, and you cannot separate the two. Say, what spirit are we talking about here? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Zechariah 12.1 tells us that God formed a spirit within us and placed it within us. Everyone person in here has a spirit within them, and that spirit within you gives you the ability to line up with the Holy Spirit and say yes. So it's when God's spirit comes to us, our spirit, and we say yes to Christ. We can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit, but God has made it possible for everyone in here to come to him through your spirit. Romans eight sixteen tell us the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. If you know you're a child of God, this is a great verse for you to read, isn't it? I know, that's how I know. I didn't know how I knew, but now I know. It's because the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, you're mine. You see, the Samaritans had a twisted theology. Once they were separated from the Jews, when the Assyrians pulled them away in about 722 BC, they married pagans. And when they married pagans, their theology got messed up. And so they grounded themselves in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. But it stopped there. They didn't accept any of the other books. They had a heart and a spirit that wanted to worship. Just like the woman inquired to Jesus, where are we supposed to do this? But they didn't have the truth. They didn't have the whole truth. It's good they had, had a heart to want to worship God, but they, didn't, they fell short of having the truth. And then you have the Jews. The Jews... They had the whole Old Testament, all 39 books, and they believed it was true. They had Jesus with them, and yet they had all their customs, and that was the problem. That's what hung them up because they started to focus on all their practices and their programs and their rituals. They had the truth. They accepted the Old Testament books. They had Jesus amongst them, and yet they were caught up with their rituals, it's really, it's really hard to read the text of Matthew 15 without really feeling for, for the people that these Pharisees and scribes influenced. These were the religious people of the day. And they would stand before people saying, do it this way. And many people were influenced by that. People that should have known better didn't because even though they had the truth, they didn't have the spirit. Matthew fifteen 8 and nine, Jesus' words as he spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he quoted Isaiah, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, in vain. You know, it's quite possible for people to come to churches all over the world, and to sit and hear a good message, and to sing songs, and to roll their kids into into children's ministry, and go home, and come back, and do the same rhythm again and again and again, and miss worship, true worship, miss even salvation, because we get into a routine. We've never been identified with Christ. Worship must be in spirit and truth. It connects both the heart with the head. It's both. The Samaritans had the spirit and the heart for worship, but they lacked the truth. The Jews had the truth, but they lacked the spirit. I wanna leave you with four things, worship suggestions as we move forward. And hopefully this will encourage you this week. First of all, for everyone in here, we need to confirm our relationship with the Lord. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you will spend eternity? Have you settled that once for all? How do you know? Do you know? You know, it all starts right here. The second thing for us believers is we need to draw near to God. If we want to improve our worship, not just on Sunday, but throughout the whole week, we need to draw near to him. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is always going to be there. But are we willing to give up our time and set aside some for prayer, for Bible study, for looking at His Word, or even meditating. Who meditates anymore? Got any meditators out there? Couple. Good. I see you, Nancy. <laughs> it's good that you meditate. You know, when I was younger, my dad would take us kids out in the backyard. I grew up in somewhat of a middle of a wheat field in northern Oklahoma. And when a storm would roll in, my dad would take us out there. We'd lay down the blankets, and he would just talk to us about God. And he would talk to us and tell us, you know what's going to happen soon? The storm was approaching from the west, and we saw it coming from a distance. He said, you're going to feel a change in the air. A little Christmas is going to happen. Feel how hot and muggy and sweaty we are right now. It's going to change. Watch it. Sure enough, before too long, the wind would shift. There it is. Did you feel that? Yes. Wow, that's God. We'd watched the storm come in and the lightning show. It's a little different in Norman than it is where there's no city lights. Trust me. Those of you who've been there know. It's a beautiful thing. It's been 40 years since I had that experience, but I had it last week. There was a storm that rolled in about 1045. I went outside just to take it all in. I saw the stars, and I thought just of the glory of God and all his creation that he made, but then the clouds clouds covered the stars, and soon the lightning rolled in, and it was quite a show, and I worshiped. It was good. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The third thing is we need to come to worship with a repentant heart, a repentant heart. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says this, who shall ascend the holy hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands, and a pure heart. We need to come confessing everything. God knows. We just need to lay it on the line with him. If we want to worship this week, we need to get right with God. God tells us in his, in his word in first John, or John 1 9, first John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He knows Cleansing helps us come to a place of worship when we're right before the Lord. Also, I want to encourage you, lastly, to commit to regular worship attendance. You say, "Well, I'm here. What are you talking to me for?" I know. But are you going to be here next week?" That's my question. You know, we need each other. We need each other. It's always better. When all of us are together, amen? It's better when we're all together. You know, the church, if you could imagine it, like a a lump of coals burning, brings forth both light and heat. And there we are, each a coal in this fire. But one thing that cannot happen is we cannot isolate ourselves and put ourselves on the fringe. For if we start to think that we're okay, You know, it's not like I'm going to lose my salvation if my worship slides a little bit. If we pull ourselves out from the, the flame that burns the hottest within the body, eventually our light dims. Martin Luther found corporate worship powerful in awaking his spiritual fire. He writes this, At home in my house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. I can resonate with that. It's so good to be with you on Sundays, all of you. There's nothing that replaces that. It's better when we're all together. Early after Jesus ascended, from into heaven in Acts, in the book of Acts. We read in Acts 2.42 that the church came on the scene and they started gathering together. They started all this, but it was intentional. God wanted it to be like that, and he still does. May we continue to be found faithful in our commitment to come together as often as we can for corporate worship, for worshiping, God, to the, for his glory, for his honor, and for his worship, and we do that to the one in whose name we come, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for making yourself known to us. You are so worthy to be worshiped. Only you can be worshiped, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. We thank you for this truth and we thank you that we have a place like this in this part of Norman that we can come together as the body, as you have seen fit, a city on a hill that cannot hide its light, that we gather together regularly to lift your name high. May we do that on Sundays, may we do that throughout the week, and may we not stop short of sharing this good, good news that you have so gracefully shared with us. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Savior and all God's people said, amen.